0: everybody welcome back to manage the wild i'm your host nick madsen the other day i was riding with the biologist uh we were feeding elk we trapped some elk and then after he wanted to go grab a collar i decided to ride along with him And we got to the area where the caller was at, and the biologist was ten times faster than me at hiking, so I just told him to go on about it his uh, way, and he went and grabbed it while I sat down. While I was sitting in the side-by-side waiting for the biologist to come back, though, I had an opportunity to sit there and just be quiet and just enjoy the peace. Uh, It's something that we don't often get. But what's really interesting is I have now discovered a couple of new cubbies of chuckers, That I have never seen in that area. I've never seen people hunt it. I've never seen dogs. I've never seen, and it's public property. So it was really interesting just spending some time sitting there quietly, not playing on my phone, not doing anything. There wasn't a whole lot of snowmobile action going on. And it was super quiet and you could just hear the coveys of chuckers. And so it was awesome to be able to find new spots that people haven't targeted that uh, you can see these birds that are flourishing. While he was uh, getting the the collar, um, before that I had a chance to ask him about where the population stands for mule deer in the area currently. And he has lost 20% of the collared fawns that he had collared this year, and so that is a, it's not great. Uh, We haven't had that bad of a winter. December, uh, relatively calm December, not a whole lot of storms, actually fairly warm weather. It was pushing into the 40s, mid-40s, into late December. Then January came, and we got hammered for about three weeks with uh, really good storms, Uh, cold weather dropped into the negatives, and. Now you're starting to see mortality happen within these fawns. And I think that's about right, though. Uh, Starting about the end of January, 1st of February, all the way through until April, you're going to start to see fawn mortality creep up. Now, it's not always great. Um, And what's been nice is this relatively mellow winter that we've had so far. So we'll just have to wait and see. What was interesting though is once the biologist got back to the side by side, he found the collar, but he found no animal. Uh, It took him a while and he was looking all through the cliffs and all over the place looking for uh, the body because he found the collar just laying on a rock and he couldn't find a carcass, couldn't find anything. The tracks had kind of melted because we are in the forties again with a little rain today, but it was difficult for him to even identify any of the sign, but mostly what he did see was deer tracks and deer beds. My theory is, and it's just a theory, is while that fawn was scratching, its hind leg caught the collar that may have been just loose enough, and it popped that collar off. That's just a the theory. Very well uh The carcass could have been hauled off, the collar taken someplace else, and whatever hauled it off was unable to eat it because obviously it's a collar and not food. But there is a possibility. Some of these fawns that were collared were some of the smallest fawns you'll see, about 50-50 pounds. They need to be in that 60-65 to pound range to have a really good chance, and so we're starting to see some of these smaller fawns die off at the first and then as you go through some of the more healthier fawns uh whether it's uh weather or predators um a couple of the fawns that have actually died have been from coyotes and from predators and so we do see some of these scenarios coming into play that don't involve weather and so just another thing to watch out for uh as we go into this period of death for fawns. Last time we talked about additive mortality and compensatory mortality. I just wanted to touch on a little bit where additive mortality really comes into play. There's a book that uh, I had to use in college and it's called conservation of wildlife populations in that they were talking about how Additive mortality, you can see when hunters really play a part in additive mortality. One of the scenarios uh, they talk about in there and the studies have shown is when prairie dog colonies are involved. Now, it's an activity I've never done. I know a lot of people who go out and shoot uh, long-range target practice using prairie dog colonies, and I have never participated in that, but I have family and friends who do it all the time. It's just not my cup of tea. But where additive mortality comes into play is in these situations like these prairie dog colonies. They're isolated communities. They're very small, and it's easy for one shooter to cover that population. Prairie dog colonies are dealing with predators, whether it's hawks, snakes, uh, coyotes, foxes, cats, whatever, Uh, They also have a lot of disease. Then you have those hard winters and there's going to be some uh, starvation or whatnot, death due to weather and some of those events. And then you come in with a shooter who can cover the entire colony. And this is what they call a super additive mortality event, because what happens is this shooter will start targeting individuals as they pop up from each one of their dens and they can cover the entire colony. And so not only is it additive, but now it's putting even more pressure because what happens is the stress of these animals being unable, these prairie dogs being unable to leave their colonies puts a higher stress hormone in their body. They become more alert and And their overall health declines. The studies show that the adults uh, suffer the worst because they are constantly moving, constantly scurrying from place to place, not really having that time to be able to uh, feed and put on the amount of fat and uh, take in the amount of nutrients that they need. And then they also show that it's even worse or it can be as bad on the juveniles because now... They are losing some of their parental figures, showing them how to do things. But now they also have that increased stress hormone that is just pumping through their body. There's vigilance constantly because they don't know where these predators are coming from. And so you will see a population just absolutely collapse. So I've talked to people in the past and they've talked about going to a prairie dog colony or groundhogs groundhogs, Uh, what are they, little prairie dogs, and ground squirrels, groundhogs, ground squirrels, sorry, they go to these uh, ground squirrel colonies and they will shoot, and then they'll come back a week later and they are gone, or they'll come back a month later and they are gone. And before, I used to think it was the amount of pressure they just pushed on and moved to somewhere else but there is a possibility that they completely collapse that population due to the amount of stress from shooting. So it just makes me want to do that activity even less. Um, You know, I was kind of always raised that if you were going to hunt something, you were going to eat something, if you're shooting prairie dogs with a 223, there's not much left. Even with a 17, there's not much left. So it just makes me want to do that activity less. But to each their own, this is uh, American. You can do as you please. But this is where these super additive or additive mortality events really come into play. Isolated populations with the limited ability to escape, they have increased vigilance less time to be able to provide nourishment for themselves, the nutrients they need. And there's just all that much more pressure going on with them, and it end up, it'll up, it end up causing your population to collapse. So when you think about additive mortality and the different effects that hunters can have, those are the type of situations we want to stay away from. Have a great day. Stay wild.